Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Fired Up, the hottest sports show in Central Ohio, the show where four sports fans talk sports for the fans. Our topic for this evening are, we're down to the final four. We continue our discussions of what has happened in March Madness so far and give you a preview of what's to come. We're also going to give you our blazing bets of the week. We're going to talk a little bit about the LaMarcus Aldridge trades in the NBA. Uh, with that, I give you our assistant chief of our fire brigade, Colton Cow. Thanks, Matt. Hey, uh, welcome to the show. We are the Fired Up Sports Podcast here. Um, tonight, we actually have another special guest. Uh, the chief, I know him as my dad, but you all know him as Rob, is uh, out on vacation this week. So we have another fill-in special guest this week. Um, and so we'd like to welcome Caleb Watkins to the show. He is a uh, friend of friend of ours of the show and uh, has been a longtime listener of the show. So we want to welcome him to the show. Caleb, uh, say a few words for us. Hey, guys. What's up? Thank you for letting me join this podcast tonight. I'm excited to talk some sports, so let's get to it. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're fired up, and we're ready to talk some sports as well. So our first topic for the night, we're going to uh, get right into you know the games that happened over the weekend, over the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games. So I'm going to leave the uh, floor open to whoever wants to start, and uh, you know, let's just uh, give a roundtable of everything that's, you know, kind of happened over the last, you know, several days. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll kick it off with just my overall thoughts of uh, both rounds in general. To me, I, I wasn't all that impressed with these rounds. Nine out of the 12 games uh, were, were won by double digits by the team that ended up winning. It just wasn't as exciting as some of these beginning rounds where the upsets were happening. And, and as I say that, you know, kind of the more things change, the more things stay the same. We had a lot of upsets early on, but now into the final four, we've got two ones, a two, and yeah, we, we got that, that strange number 11 in there. But other than that, you know, it's, it's kind of chalk going into the final four. So it, it wasn't as exciting as I thought it would be after those first couple of rounds. Yeah, definitely not as exciting as I was expecting. I mean, I think the best uh, Sweet 16 game by far was Oral Roberts in Arkansas, an absolute dog fight until the end. And it uh, helps uh, those Ohio State fans out there, helps uh, give it a little bit of a sweeter ending now that knowing uh, Oral Roberts was basically one shot away from going to the uh, Elite Eight. Although when you get beat, you want to get beat by the best. So, right. you know, the further that Oral Roberts goes, yeah. it makes you feel a little bit better that you hey, by a, a really good team. But, uh, you know, hats off to that Oral Roberts team. They battled all the way to the end and just came up short there. So, you know, that was... the, the crazy the crazy thing about that is they had a 12 point lead and they blew it. Yeah, exactly. yeah, they were they were pretty much in control of that game, you know, from almost start to finish other than the last, you know, five minutes of that game. They were, were in control. So, you know, I, I just think that, you know, goes up to just a small team not being yeah. in that situation, you know, just not prepared kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was, was crazy uh, to see that they actually had the lead and, you know, kind of kind of blew it at the end. Yeah, I think like Braids, I think really Buckeyes were kind of happy either way on that game because uh, Arkansas's best player was, uh, well, his brother and his dad actually played for Ohio State, the, the tape, yeah. tape boy of J- Arkansas. Jalen Tate. Tate, yeah. So we had some connections there. So I think Ohio State was kind of pulling for them a little bit as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, kind of my initial reactions, you know, here we are, you know, we're in the final four and we had talked up the Big Ten all, you know, all year long, all, you know, throughout the season and even going into this tournament, you know, nine teams. Here we are in the final four, not a single Big Ten team left. uh, Michigan was the the lone survivor, the last one to give the Big Ten hope. And now we go another year without the Big Ten, you know, possibly winning the national championship. Um, but then, you know, we talked about how bad the Pac-12 was right. or how bad we thought they were going to do. Yeah. Look, they got a team <laughs> in the Final Four. So, and they, I mean, they finished – are going to finish or, you know, have a really outstanding record among all the teams yeah. that got in. I mean, they're going to finish with a, you know, a clear-cut outstanding record uh, among all Pac-12 teams. So, so they really kind of crapped out there at the end. They had quite a few to – to right. have chances to get to the final four, and yeah. they only got one. So right, I, right. I don't, I don't know if they look at that well, as happily as. Well, kind of of it kind of sucks when two of the three teams that they had yeah, in the elite eight had to play each other. Right, so. right, right. You know, I, I think from there, you know, yeah, that's, uh, you know, and I think, you know, maybe not the most disappointing team, but because you know, if you make it to the Sweet Sixteen or the, you know, the Elite right. Eight, you clearly did something right. Absolutely. You know, you clearly were, you know, meant to be there, or you did something, something right to get in that position. But I think for me, I, I would say the most underperforming team, I feel like I cursed them, and that was Loyola Chicago. 
Uh, yeah. I, I somehow rubbed the magic <laughs> off. At, you know, on our last show, I talked them up. Hey, yeah. you know, Sister Jean, yeah. Loyola, Chicago, they look so good against Illinois. Then they come out against Oregon State, and they just fell flat on their face. Yeah. I mean, they he, t- he took her magic away. Yeah, I, I, I took took them out of a took them took them out of their rhythm or something because they just did not look themselves yeah. in that game. Uh, so I'm a little bit uh, disappointed disappointed in them. I, I thought they'd have a better showing than they did. Um, you know, obviously they they you know beat off a really good Illinois team. Maybe they used all of their energy in that game, just weren't prepared to get ready to go for Oregon State, but. You know, if I had to throw one, you know, underperforming performance out there, I would say that, you know, Loyola Chicago was was the disappointment. Caleb, you got anything else you want to add about about these games? Yeah, I honestly, I think you got to give you got to tip your hat to Oregon State's coach, Wayne Tankle. Uh, Oregon State predicted uh, preseason ranked 12th in the Pac-12. And yeah, here, like- they, here, here they are. Here they are you know, yeah. sitting in the Sweet 16 and moving, you know, they moved on to the Elite Eight and then granted their run ended there, but dang for being that low ranked early on in the year, geez, that's a, that's a heck of a run. Yeah, just, just got hot at the right time. I mean, they won the Pac-12 tournament, you know, swept through that and then, you know, come into this, you know, NCAA tournament and, you know, got on a little run there as too. I mean, obviously it, it ended, you know, against Houston. They, they had a chance in that game too, but you know, they just ran out of steam there at the at the end. Um, yeah, but, a couple you know, bad calls too at the end of the game. Yeah, hat, hats off to Oregon State, but you know, uh, kind of an impressive team for me. You know, we're, we're talking about the Pac-12 um, is UCLA. Absolutely. I know, uh, you know, True. like I said, we you know, weren't talking much about the Pac-12. We weren't even sure most of these teams were going to make it out of the first round or you know whatever. But uh, you know, UCLA's in the Final Four for the first time since Last 2008. Four the Final yeah. Four. Yeah, right? they they went from you know yeah playing as the play-in game to get into the tournament, and now here they are in the Final Four. So, uh, you know, hats off to them. So if I had to put, you know, a hat on somebody that was the most impressive team, I'd say it's uh, UCLA. Absolutely. I would would agree with that. Yeah, how about that defense from UCLA holding Franz Wagner from uh, Michigan? They're sharpshooters. One for ten from the field. Four points. Only 49 points Michigan scored. I mean, that's that, an awful offensive game. Yeah, I mean, it, UCLA, so UCLA only scored 51. Either, yeah. So, and I mean, 28 of those points came from Yami or J- Jamie. Johnny Juzay. Like, you know, that one was definitely, uh, if you like defense, you got plenty of it in that game. But, uh, yeah, that, you know, hats off. I think hats off to UCLA. They, they played a dirty, nasty game. They got enough stops when they needed to. Held Michigan scoreless for the last five minutes of the game. Well, you know what's, what's funny about that is we were just talking last week about how well the, you know the Big Ten didn't do well because their style didn't match up. Right. That was a Big Ten style game, and they still couldn't win. Right? It just, right. Uh, yeah. Well, it didn't uh, yeah. Some things just didn't go right for Michigan there at the end. Uh, it was a back and forth battle, but uh, you know, hats off to UCLA. They're they're playing in the Final Four, and they got themselves a handful here with with Gonzaga. So as you know. We're going to transition now. Then we're going to preview these upcoming uh, Final Four games. So we're going to start with number one, Baylor, versus number two, Houston. That game is this Saturday, uh, April 3rd, at at a very odd time, 5.14 p.m. Eastern time. So make sure you write that down because you'll probably miss it if you're not paying attention. But, uh, fellas, start it off. Who wants to start it off here uh, talking about this matchup? Go ahead, Braden. Okay, yeah. Um, in this matchup, you have a Houston team who, in my opinion, the uh, they've had a cakewalk to the Final Four. Not one team they've played has been a single-digit team. I mean, I know you're going against an Oregon State team who was on fire. They played a good Syracuse team who, again, had a decent run. Uh, Rutgers gave them actually their best game, but I don't know. I just feel like this team is a little untested. They have uh, Grimes, who's a great scorer, and also Sasser. But uh, I just don't know if they're going to be able to stop the uh, backcourt of Butler and Teague out there and Mitchell. I just don't – I don't think this Houston team is going to be as uh, tested, and I don't think they're going to be able to handle this Baylor offense. So you're, you're taking the Bears then. Got to take the Bears here. All right, all right. Caleb, what, what you got for us? I mean, to, to piggyback off a little bit of Braden is – for the for Houston is – I was kind of getting ready to ask you guys, do you, do you think this Houston team is actually legit? Like, I know you, you make it to the Final Four. That's great and all. But like Braden said, I don't think they've really been tested yet. So it's like, are, you know, are they legit? Can they get – can they go up against great talent? And can they actually, you know, do the same thing like they've been doing most of this tournament and win? But I, I think we're left with a lot of questions still about Houston and whether or not they can, they can essentially get it done. 
Yeah, exactly. no, I, we, we, uh, you know, we, we kind of dogged on Houston throughout the yeah, whole, you know, coming into it. And, you know, even when the initial rankings were released, we kind of uh, said, Hey, they might be a little bit ranked too high. The two seed might be a little too high for them. You well, know, our dog was who have they played? Right. Here they, we are. Here, tournament they, they still, have, still haven't played anybody. So, you know, yeah, they definitely have their hands full going into it. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a great point, Caleb. Uh, I don't know. This, yeah, like I said, this Baylor team is definitely a different animal than what they faced so far in the tournament. Um, you know, just a little bit of uh, history there. Yeah, Houston is the first team ever to play four double-digit seeds in, in NCAA March Madness history. So they're making history. Whoa. Whether it's good or bad, that's to be determined at this point. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find out here on Saturday. But, uh, yeah, Caleb, continue with your, your analysis. Um, yeah, I just – I think I, I wrote down a couple keys uh, for Houston. I think they really have to slow the game down for one. Uh, if you've watched – when you, if you watch Baylor throughout the whole tournament, they like to get out fast. They like to get out in transition, kind of push the ball a little bit. Um, and so I think if, if Houston can slow them down a little bit, you know, get in their sets, run their offense, I think I think they could have a legitimate shot shot yeah. to, you know, hang around at least until the end. And I think I think Blake Braden said they got Quentin Grimes. I think if they can get him going, he's their lead scorer, averaging about, you know, 18 points a game. So they can get him going. I think I think that there's going to be an opportunity for them to get the job done uh, down towards the end. So and of course. This goes for anybody. You can't turn the ball over. You really can't. You can't get in a hold of these this Baylor squad. It's uh yeah, this Baylor team is definitely uh you know they they like to turn you over and get buckets easy right. off of turnovers. Yeah, and I think that was Oregon State's demise against Houston. Ten turnovers in that game. I know Houston had eight, but I mean the lesser of the uh, turnover game won. So yeah, Caleb, right. Caleb, anything you want to add? And then you know who who are you who are you picking? Who who are you taking? I'm gonna still take the, the Baylor Bears. I just think they're they're just levels above Houston. I think they're gonna get out to a fast start, and I think it'll just be there, be be good from there. I think I don't even think it'll actually be close. I think Baylor probably wins this one by a comfortable 15, 20 points. Yes, sir. Yeah. So I mean, I guess some things I wrote down on this game. Uh, Houston's coming into the game averaging 70 points a game for the tournament. To Baylor averaging 75 points a game. Uh, Houston's got three guys scoring in double digits per game for the season. And they've got 12 guys actually averaging double digits in minutes per game. So uh, their players are fresh. Uh, Baylor's got three players averaging double digit in points per game, and they've only got nine guys averaging double digits. So that, that lineup's a little less fresh uh, coming into this game. The two teams on paper seem to be pretty pretty closely matched, but I think it's going to come down to who, who can shoot the three ball better in the game because I, I think when these games are close, it comes down to that three-point line. Baylor on the season shooting a three-point ball at 42%. Houston uh, a little bit behind there, shooting at 36%. So I think with it coming down to the, to the three ball, I'm going with Baylor. All right, Matt. So we got uh, three three Baylors, and uh, I guess I'll wrap it up um, here. And uh, just a little little history lesson. We got uh, Baylor in the Final Four for the first time since 1950. God. But Houston uh, hasn't been there any, you know, hasn't been there. They've been there a little closer than Baylor. Uh, they were, you know, first time since 1984, back in the five slamma jamma times. But uh, you know, both so so history is, you know, on both of these teams' sides. And I also know or, or sound, you know, found this as I was scrolling through some stories today. Uh, first time that two Texas teams are beating in the Final Four in history. So, you know, Texas is well represented now in in the uh, Final Four. So. Obviously, one of them has to lose, so we'll see, you know, who advances. But, uh, you know, like Matt said, uh, I think for me, yeah, it's going to come down to turnovers and three-point line. Yeah. And for me, Baylor does a better job at, at, at both of those things. Um, like Matt said, they do shoot the ball at almost 42% as a team. That is first, in not only in the conference, the Big 12, first in the NCAA. So they're, you know, shooting that three-ball very well, but I will also add, in that game against Villanova, they didn't shoot so well yeah. against the three-point line, but still came out double-digit win. So I think you know this Baylor team is able to adapt, yeah. and I, I think that's what separates probably Baylor and Gonzaga from the rest. They're able to adapt, you know, no matter what style of play or what kind of game it is, they adapt. They're able to win it, no matter low scoring, high scoring, shooting the ball well, not shooting it well, whatever. They find ways to win. And so, you know, for me, I think that's the difference in, in the game. And, and, you know, on the flip side, then Baylor is 
limiting so far through their through this tournament. Twenty six percent their opponents are only God. shooting from the three point line. Jeez. So they're 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 running. You know they're going to be running Houston off that three point line. You know Houston did a really good job against Oregon State running them off the three point line. Yeah, but I just I don't see it. You know I just don't see it. Ha- In order for Houston to win this game, like Caleb said, they're going to have to slow this game down and make it a low scoring affair to even have a, a chance. I don't know if Baylor, you know, Baylor can still find a way to win, even yeah. if it is low scoring. But I think for Houston to have the best chance of winning, they have to slow the game down and they have to make it a low scoring affair. And then they also have to take advantage of their offensive rebounds. Yeah. They average 14.4 offensive rebounds per game, which is good for third in the NCAA. So they're hitting the boards hard, which means, you know, more opportunities to get, you know, get points. So they're going to have to really take – and Baylor doesn't really do a nice job on, yeah. the, on the defensive rebounding you know, side of things. So Houston is really going to have to take advantage of that and also limit their turnovers. Um, you know, Like everybody has said, Baylor likes to score a lot of points off of those turnovers. Yeah. Um, and in their last game against Arkansas, that was very much the case. Uh, Arkansas turned it over quite a few times, and Baylor capitalized on that. So you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, it, for me – I think it's a clean sweep. I'm going with the Baylor Bears yeah. to, to take move on and play for the national championship on Monday night. Yes. Well, with that, we're going to then transition into our next game. Then we got number one Gonzaga versus number eleven UCLA. That game is also Saturday, uh, Saturday night, the eight thirty four p.m. Eastern Time game. Um, so, Caleb, we'll start with you. Kind of give us uh, your rundown of how you think this matchup is going to play out. I think you're actually going to see see it pretty close to start off. Um, obviously the key for UCLA is can you get, you got to get Johnny Juzang going. You can't, you can't not let him not, you know, have probably no less than 15 points in this game. You also have to get some help uh, who had a quiet game. The last game was uh, Jaime Jaquez kind of irrelevant in the Michigan game. Didn't do much, but I think if they need to get him established as well um, for them to really, you know, have a chance in this one because you're going up against the Gonzaga team that I think is one of the best teams we've seen, you know, in our generation, at least they, are, they look like they are just heads above uh, everybody else in this tournament. Yeah, for sure. They, uh, you know, their record speaks for themselves. Yeah. They're 30, and zero, so they didn't, you know, they didn't win, you know, all those games or haven't lost a game because they're not any good, but, uh, you know, the, the big question for us has been this, you know, whole year, who do they play? You know, their conference is not not good, obviously. Um, you know, the only thing you can kind of look at is early in November, they played they played Virginia, beat them. They played Kansas, beat them. They played Iowa, they beat them. So, but, you know, that was clear back in November. Are they yeah. still the same? I mean, it seems to me they've only gotten better since then. But, you know, have they played a true team? I'm not so sure they're getting a true team even with this UCLA team at, at the same time. Um, UCLA is, you know, playing on borrowed time at this at this <laughs> yeah. point. Um, they they they've done you know a nice job getting to where they're at. I, I'm not taking anything away away from them, right. but I just think when you look at it on paper and talent wise, you know, Gonzaga is you know heads above above them. But uh, Caleb, you want to continue with uh, with what you got? Yeah, sure. I think what could be crucial as well for UCLA in this uh, this matchup is you need their big men to step up. Um, their big men were kind of not really too uh, relevant in the Michigan game, but I think they're going to need a huge game because or sorry, Gonzaga has a big guy Drew Timmy that can absolutely just dominate um, all facets of of the game. So I think they're going to need um, their big guys to you know stay out of foul trouble. Uh, last game, uh, Casey R- or Corey Riley, excuse me, got. Uh, in some early foul trouble, kind of was a non-factor, and they had to go to their bench. So uh, I think they got to get those guys established down uh, down the paint, and just yeah, just get them established down the paint, and kind of just work around Johnny Juzang and uh, Jaime Jaquez. So then, uh, who who are you taking in this matchup? I'm still going to take Gonzaga, and I'm not sure if, if this was going to be particularly any close either. I I don't see Gonzaga just kind of not laying up on the gas. I think they're going to kind of steamroll these guys out of here. Yeah. I think uh, even when they play their C game or even D game, I think that they still find a way to win. I mean, uh, this team is just really, really talented. I mean, they got a lot of guys that can score and a lot of guys that can just do a lot of things. So, 
they are definitely a well versed, you know, well versatile team. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. Matt, what you got? Yeah. So I wrote down some things on this. Uh, Gonzaga for the, for the tournament, they've been averaging 88 points per game. Like that, that's unbelievable. Jeez. That's that's NBA territory close to right there. And the UCLA they've uh, averaged 73 points per game for the tournament. So that, that's a that's a pretty big deficit just to start off with right there. I mean, you're what, 15 points behind just just if you both hit averages. Yeah. So you know that that's that's a lot to overcome. I, I think UCLA they can run with them for a while, but I also think that extra game UCLA's had to play along the line here. I think eventually that's it's going to catch up to them. Their legs are going to get tired, and I, I think in a game like this, I, I think it's finally going to catch up to them. And, and towards the end of the game, Gonzaga's just going to pull away for a big win. Yeah, and talking about those, you know, the legs, you know, getting out of gas. If you look at every game that UCLA has played, their point total has gone down every single game. So that means. Yeah. Tired legs. They're not shooting the ball as well. They're not scoring. I mean, they're still playing, picking it up on the defensive end, which is why I think that they've gotten to where they've gotten. Yeah. Um, but I think to beat this Gonzaga team, you got to play it all around game. Absolutely. You got to yeah. defense yeah. and offense uh, because, you know, like Matt said, they're averaging 88, you know, points per game in this tournament. But on the season, they're averaging almost 92, which is first <laughs> in the NCAA. So they're, yeah, like Matt said, they're almost in NBA territory, yeah. you know. So, but they just got so many weapons on that Gonzaga team. So, you know, it's UCLA's got their hands cut out. Braden, what you got? Yeah, I just think to start out with, uh, this is one of the biggest spreads I've seen in a Final Four. Gonzaga's favored by 14 points. Yeah, that <laughs> may not be enough. <laughs> no, honestly. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think we're looking at three guys who are definitely first rounders in the NBA with Timmy, Kitzberg, and Suggs. I just think that it's going to overpower. Yes, they do have Johnny Juzang, but I don't know. I think this Gonzaga team is a team of destiny. They're going to go 31-0 and and end up making it in the championship, in my opinion. All right, so you're taking the Bulldogs. Yes, then. sir. So we're 3-0 and then on the Bulldogs. So I'll wrap it up. Uh, you know, you might as well just say you're going to make it 4-0. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we know where I side or, you know, what's happening here. I got Gonzaga winning, winning it all, but uh, – you know, let me let me tell you a little bit why I got them, you know, a little bit different than what everybody else, you know. They can score the ball, but then they also, you know, they're only allowing their opponents to score 68 and a half points. So, you know, they're they're playing it well on the defensive end too. Like I said, they're just an all-round team that does a lot of things really well. Um and uh, I think the big thing is they shoot as a team almost 55% yeah. From the floor, Jeez. from everywhere. That, that it's including twos and threes. That, that's everywhere on the floor. They're shooting fifty-five percent. So, whatever they're doing on offense, it's working. And it must be, yeah. you know, a lot of easy buckets, a lot of easy shots. And so, you know, that that's kind of what you what you want. And you know, watching them over these last couple of games, that's exactly what it's been. They've yeah. been getting, you know, easy layups, easy layup buckets, up. uncontested layups. I mean, it's basically like a layup drill for them. You know, yeah. in, in pre in warmups. But uh, well, I noticed that US, during that USC game, they, they did have some some problems from the three point line. There were times they'd go down, and their, their three point shots don't look as good as the rest of their game. Right? So yeah, they do. They do. That. Yeah, are, are not a a superb three point shooting team. I would say that they are a better two point. You know, from two point range, um, and, and it starts with with Drew Drew Temme. He's uh, a his percentage from the two is almost seventy percent. So seven times out of ten. If he puts that baby up from two point land, it's it's going in. So that's a pretty high percentage, yeah. and you're gonna you know score a lot of points if that's if that's the case. But he he also can you know dish it from that you know post. They like to do a little in and out action too. So I just think they have a lot of weapons, a lot of different things they're gonna throw at UCLA. I just don't think the talent level for UCLA is is there to match the intensity for Gonzaga. Um, and uh, I think you know another thing we said. I think UCLA has to force a lot of turnovers. Um, UCLA is 10 and one when forcing 13 or more turnovers. Problem on that is Gonzaga has played, has, has played 14 games where they are over that mark. And obviously they're still undefeated. So even when they turn the ball over a lot, they're still finding ways to win. So I just don't see a lot of, you know, keys that point to UCLA being able to, you know, they might be able to hang with them. Maybe, at the most, a half, but uh, I'm going to say at the end, Gonzaga's, Gonzaga's pulling it out. 
Uh, we'll point out us as a panel from day one haven't been picking UCLA. We started off picking Michigan State yeah. over them. So what do we know? Well, once again, yeah, it's uh, maybe pick UCLA at your own risk at this point. Maybe they continue to, to shock us and they knock. And the last two teams that came into the tournament, you know, undefeated all the way up until this point, they they were they were beaten in the Elite uh, Eight. In the yep. Elite Eight, so that you know, Gonzaga's already made it one step further than yeah. some of the other other teams, but. Uh, you know, they obviously got two more games to see if they can complete that historic, you know, undefeated season. Um, so we'll see what, what happens on Saturday night. And if they find a way to win, what happens then on, on Monday night? So, all right. Well, that wraps up our uh, segment about the uh, NCAA. We're going to go and transition into a new segment um, that we're doing this week. And we like to call this segment our Blazing Bet of the Week. Um, so, you know, a little rundown of how this works. Um, each of us picked a sporting event, which for this uh, show we picked since MLB opening day is tomorrow. We each picked a MLB opening game, and we are going to pick who we think is going to win, who you should put your money on to win, and uh, you know see how we do. We'll give you you know some insight, some reasons as to why we think you know said team is going to win, and uh, you know hopefully we'll uh, make you some money, but uh, no no promises. <clears throat> so. We'll get it started off here. Uh, Matt, you want to start us off? Sure, yeah. My Blazing Bets pick of the week is for opening, ba- opening day baseball action, and I've got the, the Cubs versus the Pirates. The Cubs are favored to win this game with a line of a negative 213 to the Pirates, uh, plus 193. Uh, the Pirates were one of the worst teams in baseball last year and did little to improve their roster in the offseason. Uh, the Cubs, on the other hand, returned many players. I know it was from 2016's World Series championship, but a lot of those same players are still on the team. And uh, a lot of them are also free agents after this season. So they may be looking to try to make one last run with that talent they have together on that team. Uh, the pitching matchup for this game is uh, Kyle Hendricks, who uh, the first game of last season pitched a complete game shutout in the opener. And uh, he, was six, he was only 6-5 and five on the season. The Cubs didn't have the best year last year. But he did have a 2.88 ERA, which is very respectable. Uh, his opponent is uh, Chad Cole, uh, who last season had a 2-3 and three record with a 4-2-7 ERA. Uh, so with with this one, I'm I'm taking the Cubs. Awesome, awesome, Braden. Yeah, this week I have uh the Blue Jays versus the Yankees. That's actually the first game of the day. Starts at 105. The Yankees are actually undefeated in opening day since trading for uh, Stanton. It's been a three year streak now. So uh, and Stanton will actually be back and healthy. Last year he got hurt and stuff, but he's ready to go. Pitching in this game, we have Hyun. Yin Ru from the Jays. That's a hard name to say, but uh, <laughs> we also have Garrett Cole from the Yankees. I'm looking for uh, Judge and Stanton to be big in this game. The Yankees are actually favored, and I also think they're going to win this one. All right, absolutely. Uh, Caleb, what you got for us? I got a division rival here. I got the Reds and the Cardinals, actually. Um, So I actually took the Cardinals in this matchup um, just because also uh, if anybody pay attention um, to any of the spring ball, I think every notification I got from my MLB app, the Reds were getting shellacked. Uh, they were getting blown. <laughs> they were getting blown. They were getting blown out. I remember. T- I remember talking to Cole a couple weeks ago, and I was like, "Man, I keep getting, I keep getting messages that the Reds are just getting beat, like thirteen to four, sixteen to two. It's like, I'm like, "Geez, this cannot. Hopefully, this isn't uh, what the season is going to be like, or it's going to be a long baseball season now with all the games being played this year." Um, but I will say, I will say, the Reds do have. Um, a couple key guys that you got to look out for this, uh, this season. Um, they got young prospect and Nick Senzel who uh, plays center field. Um, I know he's only batting 186 coming to this, but he, the reds are also really high on this, uh, on them coming in this year. Uh, they did add uh, Mike Moustakis last season uh, from the Royals. Uh, so he's, he's almost batting about almost 250 close to that. And then of course they have uh, Joey Votto as well who's uh, just been a fan favorite for the Reds. Um, they are favored to win by one and a half runs. Uh, but like I said, I'm still picking the Cardinals. The Cardinals did some work in this offseason. They added Nolan Arenado from the Rockies. I think that's going to be a huge boost uh, to their batting lineup and definitely um, in the field as well. So I'm going to take uh, the Cardinals. Uh, the pitchers are kind of almost pretty similar. Uh, Luis Castillo, is coming in with an ERA of 3.21, but uh, the Cardinals, Jack Flaherty, is ERA is not much better. It's actually uh, 4.91, so uh, I think it's going to be maybe a little bit, little bit of a duel. <laughs> um, but now I'm still taking the Cardinals just based off of 
what I've seen from the Reds uh, this uh, spring ball. Yeah, yeah, should be should be a high scoring game, but uh, yeah, I, I got uh, another early game. I got my hometown Cleveland Indians versus the Detroit Tigers. Uh, that game is tomorrow, one uh, ten start, one uh, ten Eastern time start. And for me, I think it comes down to the pitching battle in this one. Um, Shane Bieber, who, you know, if anybody has been paying attention to baseball, has been tearing it up yeah. the last several seasons for Cleveland, has really transitioned really well into that ace role for the Indians. Um, kind of, you know, after um, <clears throat> they, they had a kind of a void in there, he stepped in and has really been spectacular. Um, you know, last year he was unbelievable through the regular season. Obviously, you know, went up against a very high-powered Yankees offense in the playoffs and got shellacked in that game. But, uh, you know, I think the difference in this one, the Tigers weren't very good last year. The Indians, I know, they lost Lindor. They lost Carlos Santana. They lost Cookie Carrasco. They lost a lot of bats. Yeah, they, they, they lost some players. But I think, you know, as long as you got some strong starting pitching, as long as the offense can generate, you know, a handful of runs, you got a real good shot at winning. And with Bieber on the mound, you know, his his three last three starts against uh, Detroit, 3-0, 2.33 ERA, pitched about seven innings and uh, average about 11 strikeouts. So, you know, it's going to be tough for the Tigers to find some runs too. So this game could very well be a one to nothing battle, but uh, – <laughs> You know, I, I, at the same time, Detroit's throwing out Matthew Boyd in his last three starts um, uh, against the Indians has been 0-3, a 4.0 ERA, only pitched about six innings and uh, only six strikeouts. So a big discrepancy, a big difference between the two pitchers going there. And, uh, you know, another another stat, uh, Cleveland is 17-3 and straight up against in their last 20 games against Detroit. So – I like my odds there. I'm taking the Indians. So if you bet $100 on them, you'll get back 50 bucks. So, you know, it may not be the, you know, smart money move. Your money move may be to throw it on Detroit, you know, who knows. But uh, if you're looking to, you know, get some possibly guaranteed money, throw it on the Indians to win. <clears throat> so, yeah, that wraps up our uh, segment there on uh, our Blazing Bets of the Week. Yeah, we're going to start doing that every, every week. Um, and yeah, we'll just be giving you some insight on some, uh, sports betting stuff since that's becoming so popular yeah, now in today's, in today's, uh, sports world. Um, we're going to start doing that every week. So and we'll try to keep track of how we're doing. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see if we, uh, are worth listening to or yeah, not. Yes. <laughs> one of us, you would, you know, start to throw your money on who, who, which one of us has been doing our homework the best. So, uh, but with that, we're going to transition then, uh, back to basketball, uh, in the NBA, we had uh, two major signings over this past week. Um, we had LaMarcus Aldridge going to the Brooklyn Nets and then Andre Drummond signing with the Los Angeles Lakers. So let's start with the, uh, the signing of LaMarcus Aldridge to the, to the Brooklyn Nets, guys. Um, Caleb, start it off for us. All right. Yeah, sure. Um, so my initial thought on LaMarcus Aldridge uh, signing with the Nets, I kind of – I watched a little segment of Stephen A, kind of what he said. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge said he – signed with them to fill a void. And my question is, what void is he really filling on yeah. that team? Yeah. Uh, this, they're loaded. Yeah, they're so, loaded with talent. I don't, I don't know what void he's he's talking about, but good good for him. Yeah, I think I think he's just ring chasing at this point, which is which is fine. But uh the NBA, geez, uh is it gonna be really even fun to watch at this point? We're seeing this more and more now when it comes to, you know, NBA trade deadline or, you know, even offseason type stuff is just two super teams emerging yeah. or, you know, whatever. So, yeah, the NBA is, you know, not becoming fun to watch because it's becoming a two headed monster, yeah. you know, in the East and the West. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, c continue, Caleb. I, yeah. The other thing is, too, it's just they signed Blake Griffin. Um, so what was the what was the point of, you know, bringing Bring Aldridge on, I guess, at this point. What do you, you want him to be the twelfth man, or I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just it just I to me it, how they're going to be able to rotate all these guys in and get you know somebody's going to be the odd man out that's going to be sitting there getting a half a minute or you know a few minutes <laughs> a game. So who's the odd man out in that in that sense? So I I, I kind of feel bad for maybe some of the younger players still on that Nets team that, that are, are probably better than some yeah, of these that, guys. Yeah, that may be even better. Yeah. 
people because, yeah, let's be honest, Lamarcus Aldridge is, you know, maybe a little bit past his prime at this point. So I think it really does hurt the young guys that are still trying to make a name for themselves by, you know, Aldridge signing. Yeah, I think. Oh, good. I think the I think the other thing is too. It's like if all I think Lamarcus Aldridge could have signed with you know another solid team and actually you know played a key role. Uh, it's just you just look at this Nets team. It's just like wow. Like you know, like Colin said, are you are you going to get half a minute and are you going to be okay with just getting that half a minute at a time or you know yeah. what I'm saying? Right. Right. Yeah. No, I think uh, definitely it's going to be interesting to see how first year head coach Steve Nash juggles all of these you know all stars, former all stars, you know on this super team if that's what we're calling it how it's all gonna gonna play out so yeah i know a good remedy to uh not getting a lot of playing time is always winning that chip and getting that ring <laughs> at the end of the season so, oh, yeah. right. <laughs> everybody's happy when they're winning games so. exactly and with and i think you could put about anybody out there with three perennial all-stars and Kyrie, james harden and katie two of those who have won mvp and <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's really going to matter about who's out there with them, as long as they're those three are healthy, they're winning it. Right. Right. Matt, you got anything else you want to add? Or you know, honestly, I don't think Aldridge going anywhere was going to be a game changer. He's not the same player he was in Portland years ago. Yeah. His his uh, points per game average dipped clear down to thirteen points per game this season. Yeah. Lowest since his season. Yeah. It's, it's awful for him. His rebounds have dwindled to next to nothing as well. Another career just, low. He just he 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 went to. He went to uh, San Antonio and got soft. I, I don't I, for for a guy coached by Popovich. I I I can't imagine what happened. I I don't get it. Well, his minutes have also decreased by eight this year, so right, that right. could be a key contributor. Yeah, I just uh, yeah, I just don't know what the you know with the today's NBA, you don't see these teams signing these typical you know kind of post up you know, and I know Lamarcus Aldridge isn't your typical posted up kind of. He can he can knock down the outside yeah, shot, you know, but. Two big men they just signed, you know, Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge. They're, they're kind of steering away from, like, the prototypical NBA right. that, you know, yeah. where you see, like, versatile, you know, centers or, you know, power forwards that are guards now or bringing up the ball or, you know, what. I just don't know how – you you definitely – because, you know, with DeAndre Jordan being in the starting lineup for the Nets, you definitely can't have probably DeAndre Jordan and LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin, you know, all in there at the right. same time. It's definitely going to be a juggling act for yeah. me, and I just don't know why you want to load up in the front court, let's say. Gives them a lot of fouls they can use, but there's no shack in the league. <laughs> to have to I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, just, you know, the last few things about this, you know, the Nets are sitting 13 and 32 and 15. They're tied for first in the Eastern Conference with the 76ers. So, I, you know, they're already good as it is or, you know, you know, probably going to win the East or, you know, definitely be a contender in the East already. Uh, but I just found it interesting. You know, I don't know how all the math works or how they, you know, calculated this, but based on the LaMarcus Aldridge signing, they um, calculated that the Nets chances of winning their division, the Atlantic division boosted from 31% to 36%. So about a 5% increase. Like I said, I don't know, yeah. some, some super smart mathematician, you know, <laughs> use some kind of you know formula to calculate that um but then about you know with the, the same you know margin in the eastern conference they go from 35 to 40 percent winning the eastern conference yeah. huh. and then from to win the nba finals they go from about 20 percent to about 25 percent chance so they're giving them a one in you know one in four chance of winning the you know yeah. the whole nba you know finals so I, I don't know how that works or how it, you know. <laughs> up on big for uh, for Anthony Davis if they make it to the finals for that Could matchup. Be. I mean, at this point, yeah. Uh, it's very interesting, you know, what the Nets are doing. Uh, it's, yeah, very interesting that a 36-year-old I mean, LeBron James, it's taken all these teams loading up like yeah. this to potentially take him down or, you know. I mean, you got Durant who can guard LeBron, so I don't right. think you're worried about that matchup. I right. feel like the only matchup they that they didn't have a, a clear – but I mean, at this point, I mean, yeah, you got a lot of bodies to throw yeah. at him. But are any of these guys between DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, and uh, you know now Lamarcus Aldridge are really any of them going to be able to keep up with Anthony Davis? But do you do you wear him out? Yeah, that, that, that's bodies. the only thing I could see is yeah. you throw enough bodies at him that you got a you got a chance. Right. But I mean, I just don't know. You know, I, I don't know. It's going to be definitely interesting if those are the two teams that wind up playing each yeah. other in the finals. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, the Nets are looking way ahead here but uh you never know and uh kind of a play on you know what caleb said earlier 
about, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge possibly signing with somewhere else. You know, when he first got bought out by the Spurs, everybody was saying, he's going to the Heat. He's going to the Heat. He's going to the Heat. Obviously, doesn't matter. He, uh, you know, signs with the uh, with the Nets. But, uh, you know, the, the Heat went after, you know, Victor Oladipo, you know, right. signed a couple of, you know, yeah. uh, more talent to make a playoff push because they're sitting, you know, towards the bottom of the – they're in the playoffs, but yeah. they're towards the bottom. Yeah, I think they're the eighth seed, honestly. Yeah, so they're, you know, obviously one well, to they, make they, some they better get to the seventh seed or they're going home in the first round. Right, right. So yeah. right now in the East, it's the top three. You got, yeah. you know – excuse me, you got the Bucks, the 76ers, and the Nets all within a game or so of each other. Mm-hmm. Then four through eight is like a cluster of, yeah. you know, if you win one game, lose one game, you go from being the four seed to the eight seed, right. you know, so – kind of a jumbled mess there so for sure the heat had to make some moves to you know push themselves to get a better playoff yeah. seating uh caleb you wanted to add anything uh no I, I think you know when matt said about wearing uh you know trying to maybe wear ad down if that's who they play in the finals they're just wearing anybody down it's like blake griffin deandre jordan and uh lamarcus soldiers they're all now, on the back end of they're all on the back end of their careers right right there I don't know how many quality minutes they're going to be able to play either. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're still playing in the NBA. They're yeah. athletic as all get out. I mean, they're still only in their 30s, fellas. I you mean, figure you got to get 10 minutes from each other. Right, you know? yeah. I mean, right, right. I guess any, any little bit helps. But, uh, yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see. I think, obviously, it's better to get this signing now to work out all the kinks and, you right. know, find the rotation that they need because – when it comes to playoff time, you ain't got time for yeah. making those big adjustments or making, you know, yeah. those kind of minutes, you know, adjustments or whatever. You got to kind of almost have it figured out by then. Right. Um, so we'll see. There's almost, you know, a little over, a, you know, a half more, less than a half a season left to go. We'll see how, how it plays out. But uh, we're going to transition then to another uh, signing, another big man signing out. You know, we talked about that Los Angeles team without Anthony Davis and without LeBron James. They go out and sign a big man, Andre Drummond. What do you guys think of that? I, I think this is way bigger than the Aldridge signing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Drummond's, Drummond's gotten better and better every season. You know, he's up to, he's averaging 17 and a half points a game right now. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be a big help in, in kind of hold the fort down until Davis gets back. You know, you got that big body in there who can, who can, who can handle that spot. And, I think that's going to kind of right the ship a little bit for the Lakers. And then once LeBron gets back, if it's taking Davis even a little bit longer after that, I, I, I think it's just going to it's, it's going to make things a little better there in, in L.A. It's it's kind of bringing a little stability to them. I, I think that was a great pickup for them. Yeah, big deal. Yeah, definitely going to help as far as right now with both, like you said, both of the stars out or whatever. I think this will help them win a couple key games as far as the seeding goes and stuff. And also when you have somebody who's usually the leading rebounder in the NBA – Definitely getting those second-chance shots, kick it out to Kuzma, LeBron, anyone out there. I think it's a great signing for uh, the Lakers. and I think it'll maybe boost them a little bit because they're sitting at the four seed right now in the West. So maybe it'll give them that little bit of a push to get up to maybe a top three, but we'll see. Yeah, no, so, you know, kind of a play off of that. You know, Los Angeles is sitting there right now, 30 and 17, fourth in the Western Conference. They're on a three-game losing streak since, you know, LeBron and, and Anthony Day. Well, I mean, Anthony has been out for – quite a while now, but three game losing streak since LeBron went, went out. So they're uh, sitting five and a half games behind the first uh, team there in Utah, Utah jazz. Um, But yeah, I I have to agree with Matt. I think this is a bigger signing for, for the Lakers than, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge going to the nets. I think this is a major upgrade because this is a starter. This is, this is a starter you're going to put. I mean, he's uh i've gotten word or you know uh, confirmation that he's going to play tonight in his first game for the lakers That's against right. a formidable opponent in the milwaukee bucks going against probably Giannis or you know i, I don't know if it'd be guarding Giannis, but right. you know the, the bucks are you know got a pretty obviously a pretty decent team so he'll get this will be his uh the mark or it'll be uh andre drummond's first game since i believe february 12th so mm-hmm. You know, we'll see what kind of shape he's in. He he claims that he's been, you know, still working out and, and still in basketball shape since the Cavs kind of, you know, let him go or kind of, you know, stop playing him or whatever. Right. But uh, we'll see what he can do tonight um, against against the Bucks. So uh, when, when Davis gets back, how, you think uh, he still starts? Do they move Davis to the to the power forward? Yeah, and, I, I think he, yeah, I think so. Too, yeah. Davis from having to play that traditional yeah. center position, they can move him over to more of that power forward, which right. I think is where he's more comfortable yeah. because 
uh, Andre Drummond is not much of an outside shooter. Right. He is kind of a typical back you down kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and where Anthony Davis can hit it from outside. I mean, he can even shoot it from the three point line. So I think that you know stretches stretches the the floors. So I think yeah, they'll probably have both of them. It, it really depends on matchups, but yeah. majority of the time, I would say that yeah, you got Anthony Davis at the four, and you got yeah Andre Drummond at the five. Um, yeah, a lot of size to match up with yeah. LeBron Drummond yeah. and Davis. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna be uh, an interesting thing because uh, because I mean, even at the same time, Anthony Davis can bring the ball up too. I mean, he can he's you know almost a tall point guard, so. Uh, you know, it's going to be very interesting, very tall lineup once they get everybody back. Um, so definitely something to, to look for and, you know, something that uh, hopefully the Lakers can get all those people back before the regular season. Because like I said, I think that's going to be critical to getting everything worked out, getting all of the kinks worked out, getting that uh, chemistry going that they need uh, going into the playoffs, um, which is obviously where the Lakers, I don't think they're too worried about where they're at right now. Yeah, I don't they're, think so either. They, as long yeah. as they – playoffs they're you know i think they're okay um, they got a chance yeah i think uh that, yeah they, they just got to get there they're looking forward to the playoffs already um so get everybody healthy get everybody back and uh, healthy rested and they're gonna make some noise right. yeah. and uh you know just a little bit more about about drumming um you like matt said he uh he he's you know upped his stats quite a bit but i, I found it interesting that he would actually be Second in the NBA right now, if he had his play, if he had played enough games, he'd be second in the league in rebounds per game. But because of you know stat tracking and things like that, he technically hasn't played enough games to be considered on that on that list. Gotcha. So, but also at the same time, not only just rebounds in general, but he would actually be third in the league in offensive rebounds, which I think is where he's going to have the biggest impact because. Right. Andy Davis, yeah, he's a big guy, but he doesn't get a ton of offensive rebounds. Mm-hmm. And I think Drummond can kind of take that role. He can be that guy down in the post, take those dirty minutes. He can oh, be yeah. the, you know, the the rim stuffer on the other end, but then, you know, get down in the paint and get those offensive boards to kick it back out for, you know, extra shots or whatever. So I think that's more athletic than Rodman right there. Right. Man. I think yeah. that's that's where you're gonna see the biggest impact for for Drummond is is on the offensive glass. And, and right now the Lakers rank about middle of the way, about 17th in the NBA in offensive rebounds per game. So inserting him in the lineup, I think instantly, you know, boost him up right. there uh, to put him in maybe the top 10 or pretty close to the top 10 in the league for offensive rebounds. But, uh, you know, the it's funny. We talk about the Lakers and how good of a historic team that they've been. You know, everybody, when you talk NBA, it's Boston Celtics and Los Angeles Lakers. Right. But I found it very interesting. The last time a Lakers player – average more rebounds in just one season compared to Drummond's, you know, career average of 13.8 rebounds was 1975. Wow. I mean, you go back that far. I mean, like I said, we, we talk about the Lakers a lot, but they haven't had those rebounders. So Drummond, you know, comes in Shaq on the team. Right. And they had Shaquille (laughs) O'Neal. I mean, one of the best centers of all time Mm -hmm. on, on, on the, you know, on their team. And still have not had you know a better rebounder than, than him. So, you know, and, and in that same span, they've only had one rebounding champion. And you know who it was? Dwight Howard. The first wow. time with the Lakers back in 2012, 2013. So in 45 Jeez. years, they have not had a rebounding champ either. So, you know, as historic as the Lakers have been, you know, they yeah, especially with Shaq. I, I yeah, I don't know how that that crossed my mind or didn't cross my mind, but uh, you know Matt brings up a good point on that. Um, but yeah, so they're they're getting an instant rebounder if nothing else. Yeah. If he doesn't contribute that much on the offensive, you know, as far as points go, he's at least going to get in there and do the dirty work and get you some extra some extra boards. So, um, what what are, what are your thoughts? I think honestly, just. To- um, our notes must be identical because I wrote a lot of the same things that you guys wrote down for this uh, for this one. Um, I just think this this move made sense. Um, they needed another big guy, obviously. Um, I think the one thing we are all forgetting though is the Lakers also have Marcus Soule, but he's not producing like he has in the previous seasons. He's averaging only four point eight four point yeah eight points per game. Uh, rebounds are super low at three point nine. Um, so I just, I just think this move at the end of the day, just made the most sense. I think they absolutely needed it uh, in order for them to k- kind of get over a little bit of a, 
little bit of a struggle here, obviously with AD and LeBron hurt. Um, so yeah, it just made it made the most sense. And they uh, they didn't have to trade anybody or you know get rid of anybody to get right. him. I mean, and he didn't have to spend a lot of money to to get him or anything. And so I think that they're going to get a very very good return on their investment for this one compared to you know Lamarcus Aldridge for the Nets. Uh, I just I, I think this is a better better move. And how you got to feel for Kevin Love who just can't get out of Cleveland? You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they let me go and they do, but right. Love can't get out of there. Love is stuck in Cleveland. <laughs> Uh, he's not feeling the love in Cleveland, so uh, I don't know. Making thirty-five million dollars, not playing a game, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I think, uh, yeah. At the end of the day, we'll see how the rest of the season plays out. But uh, you know, just looking at it on paper, I think uh, Andre Drummond is definitely the, the better move um, from the from this standpoint. Um, and uh, you know, we'll see we'll see if these two teams do wind up meeting in the finals. Yeah what the impact of those signings are, you know, what, what, uh, you know, how, how it plays out for the teams. But uh, yeah, that, that's the uh, end of our show this week. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening. Um, we are going to uh, potentially be back for another show on, on Sunday, right before the uh, national championship game, uh, men's basketball national championship game in college, uh, where we're going to do another show, you know, try to do another show on Sunday before that uh, to give you a little insight of, the two teams that are playing and, you know, kind of a preview of that game before, before the game actually happens. Uh, but just, uh, you know, check for us on, on social media, on Instagram, uh, or on our Facebook page for an update on, you know, when our next show is going to, going to be, we appreciate everybody listening tonight. Um, we also want to give a, a shout out and a thank you for Caleb coming on the show and, and yeah. filling in for us. Uh, it's been a you know, pleasure having you on the show and, you know, you've given us a lot of good, good insight and yeah, we, we appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys so much for letting me uh, be a part of this. This has been awesome. Yeah, yeah, and uh, definitely we'll uh, – any anytime you want to come come back on the show, we'd uh, definitely appreciate you, you coming back. For sure. Yeah, so we are signing off the air. We thank everybody once again for, for listening to us, and uh, let's get fired up. <laughs>